0: Good to be back home. Uh, What a beautiful privilege it is to be with my sister, Auntie Bob. And uh, whenever I get here, I'll feel at home. And so much peace and joy and happiness that I receive from all of you. And for those who've been to Liberia and been in my home, we miss you a lot. And uh, Cecilia and the kids, they all say hi. <laughs> We've been on the phone forever. And they ask me, What Auntie Bob's doing now? What is she doing now? And I just go, She's having fun. What a blessing, hope it is in Jesus. And um, I don't even know how to start, but I'm really thrilled and happy to be here this morning. And I thank you all for your prayers. You know, you, you don't know the importance of prayer until you see what God is doing. We thank you, as a family, that you partnership with us, and you pray for us, and you support us. Great things are happening. And we rejoice in Jesus because you are with us. Amen? OK, I have a short video that I want to show you and then uh, after that I'm just gonna come and challenge you probably for 10 minutes and then uh, if anyone has question you can ask (laughs) So. <laughs> Praise the Lord. How many of you here really don't know me? Wow. Don't know me? I never heard me spoken or anything? Okay. That takes me back. My name is John Geramon Kepo One. Okay, Papa John for sure. (laughs) I was born in Liberia a few years ago, and that really a few years ago, and uh, lived there for most part of my life. And I started my schooling and through high school and college. And um, beautiful country, first country in West Africa to be colonized by the Americans. And uh, things were working good. Uh, since uh, 1822 till 1980. And then the government was overthrown by soldiers, and uh, things started deteriorating from 1980 all the way to 85, and then um, the guy who overthrew the government turned the country into more of a tribal state, and one of his tribe he brought in to kind of rule the country, and then anyone that spoke against him, he killed that person entire family like sometime they come by night of death's court and eliminate the entire family never to be seen so that went on for five years and then uh, christmas eve of 1989 uh, the people got really sick and tired of that and they said well if he started to kill us we're going to fight him to get him out of there so they called it a popular revolution so they put started a civil war and um, Christmas morning, uh, we woke up, and beautiful Christmas, and uh, uh, war was our gift, and we were all over the place running, finding dead bodies all over the place, and no one knew where to go. You have nowhere to go, especially if you're in the wrong area, in the wrong tribe. So that went on from Christmas Eve, and then 1990, things got worse, very bad, very, very bad. Personally, on May 22, 1990, I was in my house at about 10.30 in the evening, and a group of soldiers, probably about 15 of them, they gathered together to come and kill me secretly as they did for other people. And while they were planning to come, and a friend of mine heard what they were planning and come to kill me at night, And then he ran past them, and he came to the house, and he said, John, you have to run for your life. And I said, what's going on? He said, the soldiers are here to kill you. Run. And just what he said, what happened, I have to run through the back door, never to come back to my home. And I ran that night, just in a T-shirt and a pair of shorts, never to come back home. The next morning, things were very rough in Monrovia. Bodies were all found in the streets, and sometimes you only find the head of a person. The body is nowhere to be found. Sometimes you find it, the bodies and no head. So it was really, really risky. So the only means was to leave Monrovia and go to Sierra Leone as a refugee. But how do you go to Sierra Leone? The entire place were all soldiers going from place to place. And every place you walk in Monrovia, you have to identify yourself with ID cards, like your license, with your picture, not just your name. So anyhow, I decided, because I couldn't go back home, I couldn't go anywhere, and lots of people knew me, actually. Another part of the story was, the guy that was leading this group to come to kill me he and I have been friends for almost ten years, very good friends. But because I was from the wrong tribe, he turned against me, and he brought people to kill me. I remember walking out of Moravia, and I got to the place called Brewerville. and there was a big soldiers' checkpoints there, and you have to show where you're from, and in Liberia. Your last name shows the tribe you are. Every last name shows what tribe you are. And I got to display the soldiers pulled me over from among the people, and they were asking everyone, and then I showed my ID, and then he said, good, you are the people we're looking for. And they pulled me out and put me in an execution line to be killed. And I was standing there watching other people being killed. And just waiting for my turn, watching other people. Step by step, they kill you, the next person come. We're standing there. A fellow came, and he tipped my shoulder. He said, what are you doing here? And I explained to him what I was doing there. And he said, that can't be true. I said, it's very serious, true. So he left me and walked in front and went to the guy that was in charge. And he said, that guy is my friend. Why do you want to kill him? And then they got into a huge argument. And they were just shouting. And the word that I heard was, if he's your friend, get him out of here. And this friend of mine, I never met him before. I don't know him ever. And he came and grabbed my hands, and he took me to freedom. Praise the Lord. And he opened the gates and he said, go. And he told me one word. He said, don't come back here. And I turned around politely. I said, I'm not coming back. And I left. But how do you get to Sierra Leone? That was just one little point. All in the butchers and all over, there were soldiers all over the place. So the The trip that's supposed to take me just less than a day, because we're talking about 89 kilometers, less than a day. It took me three months. I was in the jungle (laughs) for three months, really struggling. No food, nothing. Trying to cross into Sierra Leone. And don't ask me what all we ate. Lost a thing. And I think I told someone the last time I said, you know, when I look back at those things, there was good thing and a bad thing about it. There was no food, and every roots you find in the bush was food, and you ate there, and you didn't pay anything for it. We didn't even pay tax for anything. <laughs> August 15, God made a way, and I crossed into Sierra Leone as a refugee. Never forget. I'll tell you a very good story. When I crossed into Sierra Leone, and this is a long story, and I don't like to talk so long about it because I feel that's history. And I like to talk more about what God is doing now. But when I was crossing to Sierra Leone, it was difficult to cross. At the time, the war was really at the peak point. And there was no way anyone could cross into Sierra Leone, except for very few lucky people. Sometimes you, you get on a little boat, Uh between Liberia and Sierra Leone. There's a big, huge, ugly, long river. And you have to sing that little thing and pillow it until you cross. But the soldiers on this side, when they see you in the middle of the water, they demand that you come back. And if you refuse, they shoot you right in the water. That's the situation I found myself in. So after going through all that and going into Sierra Leone, a Sierra Leone soldier arrested me among all the groups, all the people that was going. The guy looked at me and he said, come. And I went to him. I said, what happened? And he said, why are you leaving Liberia? And I said, oh, I'm fleeing from my life. And he said, that can't be true. And then I really didn't know what I said to this fellow, but he got so mad at me. And he took his machine gun and he started pushing me and pushing me into the river and threatening to kill me. And I was just standing there looking at him and speechless, and I didn't even know what to say. Then a lady showed up and she said, Hello. And I spoke to her. She said, What's going on? And I explained what was happening. And she went to the soldier, she said, oh, this guy is my cousin. And this cousin of mine I never met before. <laughs> Later on, I got to know that this guy thought I was lying to him because I told him I was 25 years old. He told the lady, that fellow, that man, He's about 65, he's not 25. And that's how good I was looking at the time. <laughs> I went to the refugee camp, and in there, there was 85,000 people. No sanitation. You read the history of the Civil War, it'll tell you everything. I was in a place called Bo. 85,000 people, refugee, at a time. No sanitation. The bush was everything. We'd did everything there, we whatever, there was a little river there, and we went there to take bath and the same river, we used that for cooking and drinking. Boom, there was an outbreak of diarrhoea in the camp. And death tour was twenty persons a day. So three days into the camp, I got sick. And the rest of, was history. I remember when things got pretty bad. I couldn't even stand for myself. My friends in the camp, they took me to a little medical setup by MSF, Medicine Sun Frontier. They took me there, and the doctor did everything possible to bring me back to life. And I was pronounced dead. So they left me and poured me with the dead people. And my friends left the clinic and came back to the camp. A few hours later, God woke me up. And I found myself laying there and I look, I see these people in a plastic bag, I see them lined up in plastic bag, but I don't know why the doctor didn't put me in a plastic bag, they left me lying there among them. And I woke up, I didn't see a word, I just walked easily and then quietly, and made my way back to the camp. And when my friends saw me, everyone were fleeing from me. And I thought, I said, no, it's me, see? No, I didn't say that. (laughs) Praise the Lord. God took me from Sierra Leone to Africa Coast, to Breserville, to South Africa, and finally, When his perfect time, he told me, I'm carrying you to Canada. And a few years ago, he took me from Johannesburg and threw me right into Regina during the heat of winter. (laughs) It was really beautiful. My very first time seeing winter and snow and stuff, and I lived through it. Praise the Lord. God is so good. And then I had an opportunity to make life here. And then I went to school at uh Canadian Bible uh, Seminary, CBS, CTS in Regina, and then got more education. And then from there things started working out. And then started started with the POC and things started going good. And you name it. Now settle in Canada. Then one day, the Lord spoke to me. and said, John, I want you to go back to Liberia to help your people. That was kind of weird. Because I've been through Liberia, and I know what I passed through, and the war was not actually over. It was just a ceasefire. And God is telling me to go back to Liberia. Through the prayers of many of you friends, I took the chance and I went to Liberia and my very first day in Liberia at 12 o'clock midnight the civil war broke out again and I was questioning myself how dumb I was to come to Canada and have everything here good and things started working out and for me to listen to whoever told me to go back and then to go there and, and, and be caught in a, a, a war again all over, starting all over. And the short story to that, the second phase was worse than the first one. I remember many times our caught in crossfire, and sometimes we couldn't move. We have to wait. But God had his hand upon me. He protected me. He rescued me. As time went on, we started working in Liberia, and the needs were so great. And I think that's one of the things that really got me to get stuck in Liberia, even through the war. We used to go out, we do what you call soup kitchen. Cooked and take it out to the kids on the street. Thousands of children. We had three stations. Listen to me. War was still going on, but we were still in the midst of it, going out streets to street, feeding the children. Giving them hope. Because there was no hope. No family to be seen anywhere. And the children, some of them were sleeping in the marketplaces. Some of them were all in the street, nowhere to go. There was no home. I'm talking about children that were left behind. There's no family member to know where they are or anything. As the Lord opened doors, we brought some property, and then we started working from the campers. A big jungle at the time. We did everything by hands. We built our first building. We started doing things, and then we started bringing our children into the, the place. And little by little, little by little, little by little, we started with 15 girls. And then by the time you look, the world got over 2003. And then God started blessing his work. And then we went out to about 75 children. My wife and I started nurturing them, taking care of them. And then God opened a better door, and we were able not only to take care of the children that we have on campus, but to also minister to the children in the entire community. So the school we started in 2004 in 2006, we went up to high school, and our average went up to 515 students. As the kids come, we minister to them, and they go back home, and then we stay home with our children. But I want to tell you that God has been really faithful, really faithful. Nineteen years we've been in Liberia, and Every year, the Lord does something new. As you saw it out there, we had so many reasons to be grateful to God. So many reasons. Some of our kids, now they, they live in their own homes. Some marry, and some are going to be married soon. And some getting out of university. And the Lord just continues to bless us. God gave us a vision. And our vision is to go to Liberia and build the next generation of leaders. And I think he is doing it. I was talking to one of my friends. I said, you know what? Sometimes we have to look at the big picture. The school that we have over there, kids that go through there, they don't even call me principal or whatever, which I'm not. Everyone called me daddy, and they call my wife mommy. And those leadership spread all over Liberia. We believe in education. Sometimes it's hard to explain that to North Americans. But some of our kids, they are much older. Can you imagine some of our younger kids, I mean, some of the kids that we brought in, at a time when we were starting, some of them they were almost 17 years old so before they started their first schooling. And we worked with them. And now they are out of high school. Potential. Some of them, they were big. But sometimes I talk to some people, I say, you know, to change Liberia, we need to make sure these kids are educated. Because in a terrible country, education comes. There's no other chance. And high schools mean nothing. So folks, stand with us. Let's get our kids higher educated. And we're going to make sure Liberia changes for Jesus very important and God continued to provide and provide and provide and we see some great things happen in Liberia I want to give you a chance to be able to ask me a few questions but before I do that I'm a preacher and I'll be no way get out of here without preaching Turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of my best books. And it's starting with 29 and uh, verses 10. And I'm not going to read that portion. This is a challenge for me most and also to you. And the reason it makes it so personal is because of what God said to me and what he has done for me. Jeremiah 29, starting with 10. The very first place over there, there's time in the lives of the children of Israel and very sure our God is not a God that desires the worst for his children. He always the perfect and pure father, very best father that anybody can ever think about. Now, when you go against his will, there are consequences. And then later, when you repent, he is so more than happy to bring you back home. And listen to what he said to the children of Israel. Very first thing he said to them after 70 years in slavery, he said, I will come to you. That makes it personal. Guarantee, assurance. That he's not a father that would turn his back on me. He will come to me. And he explained to them, not only coming to them, but he coming to them with good news. And for me personally, when God says that, it's already done. It's not something that I would say I will. Because my will may change. But when God says will, it's already completed. Hallelujah. He said, I will come to you. And he coming with hope. I mean with plans. And the plan was warn them, it's not a bad plan. Very good plan. And what is good plan for you and I? First of all, I will give you hope. I will give you future. This was the word that took me personally as John Pewan to leave Canada to go to Liberia to give future and hope to the children of Liberia. When I got to Liberia, the very first time I got there, when I looked at Liberia, I was very discouraged. There was nothing that you could look at and think that nation was going to even be where it is today. Can you imagine the little babies, 12 years old, holding machine guns, passing all over? And if you say the wrong thing, they just kill you. No one's going to ask questions. But God was there. In his plan, there are three important things that I see, which speaks to me today. The very first thing that I see in God's plan is his presence is always with us. His presence is always with us. If it hasn't been for God being with us in Liberia, I could have been history. I won't be standing before you. He was there in every inch of the way. And those of you that have been to Liberia, that's a beautiful Liberia you see today. If you were there 19 years ago, you'd probably say, I'm not going back there, John. It was horrible. Every single building you saw, there were bullet holes. And as I told you, sometimes we were caught in crossfire. I remember once upon a time, we were on campers with Cecilia and I with our 15 children and workers. And the place got so much attack and bullets were going all over. And we were so afraid. We didn't know what to do. And then one of the kids came to me and said, Papa, what are we going to do? And I looked at our little face and I said, do not worry. God is here. And we were forced to take those children from there and take them all the way to the airport, Roberts International Airport. That's the only place that was a little bit safer. We took them there. And bullets were flying all over TLP campers. But you know the good news that were there. We had more things than any other person in our entire village. But with the civil war going, we took the kids out and thing. our building was there, the food was there, and this and that. And we even raised pigs and stuff on campus at the time. Nobody ever went on that campus to take anything from us. Nobody. I was telling my wife, I said, if we're knowing that God, nobody was going to come to campus, we we're going to leave the kids here. We just sit here and watch God. All right but no one came there, no one touched anything. But the surrounding area, everything was looted, broken into, houses were broken, this and that. You know soldiers, there's no control, but nobody touched T or P. Give Jesus a hand of praise. His presence is so awesome, very awesome. I told someone a story about South Africa. When I was there, the very first time I got in, the the immigration said I was uh, was, uh, fake. And they arrested me and put me in jail. And in that jail, I prayed to the almighty God. I said, Jesus, why am I here? And you know what? Twelve persons gave their life to Christ in that prison when I was there. And as soon as they gave their life to Christ, the guy came and said, John, you are free. And I got outside. (laughs) And the lady that told me I was a fake, she came and apologized to me. Because I was on a United Nations passport as a refugee. And she couldn't believe every word I said. And she threw me into prison. And then when I got out, the UN came to me and told me to sue the government. And I said, no. And the lady apologized, and I told her, "I said, you are forgiven." God's presence. The next thing you see in His plan, He cares for us, and I don't need to tell you more about God's caring for us, right? He cares for us in all of our situation. He's a caring and loving Father. You know how many people that got on mine campers. During the Ebola, that many of you raised money and sent to us, we had so much to eat. My workers, myself, and my children, we were over 150 people living on our campus. And one single person with Ebola could terminate the entire campus. Food. God always gave us more. And we were even able to give food to the neighbors because they couldn't go anywhere. He's caring. Very caring father. Lastly, in his plans for you and I, we have hope. We do have hope. The Bible says heaven and earth shall pass away. But my word will not pass away. I don't know about you, but one of the things that keeps me going is this world is not my home. Death could come any time today. I'm pleased and happy that I know Jesus. I got a greater hope. And that's a hope that God gave all of us as his children blessed hope and it's true that hope that you can get a future it's true that hope that we can get a future and that future is to be with Jesus forever and ever there will be no more civil war there will be no more orphans there will be no widows and you need me. perfect father that our peace to be complete. And we'll live with him forever.